Welcome to Weird Sequence, Season 1, Sequence 3, Uzumaki by Janji Ito. Beware spoilers and trigger warnings for the following. Body horror, death, cannibalism, paranormal activity, and coughing. And welcome to the show. I'm Phil Alighieri. And I'm Damien Hester, and today we're talking about Uzumaki by Junju Ito. Uh, if you're not familiar with uh, Junji Ito, he is a um, he's a Japanese graphic artist, primarily concerned with, I guess, body horror. Would, would you think that's for, fair? Um, so the, these... the books of his that I've read, yes, there's a fair amount of body horror. I, I think I think three that I've read. So Uzumaki, which definitely fits that criteria. Uh, Tomi, which is this m- sort of malevolent sort of teenage girl monster thing that keeps dying and coming back, which definitely covers that. Mm-hmm. Um, and Goyo, which is all about that. So... <laughs> and that Goyo is like all body horror all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. The, the, title that, the title of that one actually makes me laugh because that, you know, in English they translate that as... Um, they sort of translate that as Goyo the Death Stench Creeps. And I, yes. I think in Japanese, the title is something more like The Sea Smell Murders. It's just Both like, okay, out. that's 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 probably a good one to have changed up a little bit. I, I have to say, I mean, we're not talking about that book today, but when I, but Gyo, I think, was the first manga that I read. And I can honestly say that when the first thing happens, I was not expecting it. <laughs> It, 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 uh, that series is also interesting because for me that was that's probably the weaker of the three that I read. But it's also interesting because that has the um, what's the short story? Oh, the uh, short the story incident of the, the Amagara Fault. Yes, that is so creepy. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah, we could is, we could is... do we could do a show just about that thing like Ooh, that. Maybe we should do that at some point. Actually, that, that is would probably be a good one. That that short story is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but today we are doing. Uzumaki, which translates as, I believe, spirals in Japanese. Yes. Which, uh, that's also a perfectly valid synopsis, so I guess we're done for today. Right. Have a good night, guys. I'll catch you later. <laughs> so, um, uh, Danny, so, why don't you uh, take us through roughly what happens? So, the story is big. Um, it's three books. It's about 680 pages or so. It has a lot of chapters, and each chapter is kind of its own little story. But but the overarching story evolves over time, and it's about um, a small seaside town that has been corrupted by um, some kind of curse that deals with spirals. And at first, you're not really sure what's going on. It's it's fairly small things, except for a tornado that blows through the street right at the beginning, but. But this, the the story centers around... Um, hey, Damien? Yep. One sec. I've realized I've got my headphones. I'll be right back. Oh, my goodness. How dare you? I know. I was just like, this is going to echo like a swine if I don't do this. Mm. Apologies. You, I... you, were, you were saying about a seaside town. Right. So the seaside town has some kind of curse upon it that deals with spirals. and But at first... It, you don't really know any of that. The story follows this girl, Kyrie. Yes, Kyrie, and her boyfriend, 
whose name is um, I don't remember. Oh, uh, Suichi, <clears throat> which is Japanese for Gavin. So which Gavin is, and Matilda, <clears throat> right? So, so Kiri and Suichi are together, and so she's walking home, and she sees Suichi's father in an alley. This is the first thing, and this is it's important. It's it's good to talk about this inciting incident because it's it's like one thing it, that that it, it really it just, just set up the, the scene for the rest of this because this is this is a story that's that probably halfway through jumps the shark mm-hmm. and doesn't really come back down so this, this goes to a, a much stranger place than you might initially expect when you start to read the book yeah um and it, it it's, the, the initial build-up is is um, I believe the first two chapters of the the um, and and f- and for reference here, we're reading the the combined three edition set of this. I, I believe that you know it's the first two chapters of that that collection um, because it is a story that does evolve probably slower than the rest of the story, mm-hmm. um, and very much needs that build up to get the full effect of what happens. Yeah, I was thinking, I was just looking at the table of contents to kind of figure out when it really jacks up a lot. And I think in chapter six, which is titled Medusa, which is with the hair, that's when it kind of starts to really ramp up and doesn't really... Yeah, because um, <laughs> before that, it, it's very kind of, well, here's a thing that we notice, here's a thing that we feel. And when you get to Medusa, it's like, it's overtly affecting the town. Yep. Um, but you were saying, sorry, the, the, the father so, is in the, the alleyway. Right, so so she sees her boyfriend's father in the alleyway, and he's kind of crouched over something, and she's like, oh, that's odd. So she goes over closer to say hi, and he's, like, looking at something, and she kind of goes closer, and he's staring at this snail shell that's attached to the to the wall. And um, and she's like, oh, that's weird. I don't know if this is, is this really his dad? I don't know that. He doesn't do that. That's weird, and she walks away, and she doesn't really think anything else of it. And that's kind of the inciting incident, and it's very subtle. But like, you know, this, I, I read this book for for the podcast, and this is the second time that I've read it. And having read the story before, that incident is so ominous for how simple it is, and mm-hmm. you know what kind of implication that has further on like it, well, it, just... it, it it's it's a weird sort of foreshadowing because <clears throat> here you have somebody who's starting to lose their mind thinking about spirals mm-hmm. and this this escalates actually not not necessarily at a rapid pace the 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 father starts to starts to um amass things that are spiral shaped like he starts to draw spirals he starts mm-hmm. to stare at stars and look at galaxies that are spiraled he has like he's collecting seashells. And... he 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 employs kiri's father to build him spiral shaped pots and plates with very distinct patterns he stops going to work because he's in his office studying this all the time uh, <clears throat> and this this goes through and gets creepier and creepier and he gets more and more obsessive to the point where the the mother sort of the 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 wife uh, of the father throws out all of his spirals because she thinks yeah. he's quite rightly sick yeah and he's just like well it's okay because i figured out how to pull spirals out of myself and he stands there and his eyes kind of i don't know how to describe it sort of unlatch and then start to spin around in spirals and you just get this picture of him with these these crazy looking eyes mm-hmm. 
you know, both eyes going in, in different kind of rotating patterns. And uh, he, um, it's, it's just genuinely very creepy <laughs> to yeah. look at. And, and then, of and course, you know, the, and of course the, there's, there's the culmination of that, that, that two-chapter seg- segment where he goes and orders the tub. Right. Well, there's something, something happens, I think, right after that, after the eyes. Um, he had commissioned Curie's father to make him a plate. And so she, her father finishes it and says, can you take this to Suichi's father? And um, this is right before he gets the tub. Um, she takes it to him. And she says, "My father finished this. I want she want he wanted you to have it." And and uh, Suichi's father says, "Oh, thank you, but I don't need it anymore. I've learned how to manifest the spiral with my body." And he then sticks out his tongue and then oh, sticks yes. out his tongue oh, yes. farther, oh, and then gosh. his tongue starts to roll up like a cinnamon roll. It's very creepy. Yeah, it it, uh, it almost looks like an insect proboscis. Yeah, yeah, that that kind of classic kind of coil shape yeah. just on the front of his face, and it's. It's just very fluid and visceral image, and it's just, it's just unpleasant. It's just super yeah. unpleasant. But the, and then of course the, she she drops the, the the plate. Well, she drops the package. It, it cracks on the floor, and then she, she runs away. And then you know, literally a panel later, the guy shows up with this. What was it? Was it a bathtub? Was it a? Well, it's it's an. It's an. Well, I don't, maybe people in Japan would be like, "Oh, I can guess what that was," but for me. Not really being Japanese or, or super knowledgeable about Japanese culture, um, I didn't know what it was. It's just when when he brings it, it's just like a big cylindrical object that the parcel, like the parcel delivery guy, is like carrying yeah. over his back in a sack. Um, and then the next scene is the funeral. So you don't really know. You know that his father died, but it doesn't say how until yeah. Suichi explains it, and what he did is he um, turned himself into a spiral. And so he, he buys this, this the... tub that's probably, what, five feet across? Yeah, I think it's a, it might be a bathtub, but I think it also could be like a, like a big, um, like a, one of those things that they steam like sticky buns in. Yeah, it, it, you know, looking at it, it makes me think like uh, the, the the big vats they use in France for mm. um, making wine. Ah, yeah. So it, it's something more more like that that I'm thinking of than um, than like a an actual bathtub. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's basically it's basically you know, a a short barrel. Right. Yeah. And he basically what happens is they tell everyone, well, he fell down the stairs and killed himself. Well, didn't kill himself, but died in the fall. What he actually did was he crawled into this tub, wound himself into a spiral. This is your first point of really significant body horror because he has spiraled himself, like he's clasped his hands in the middle and coiled his arms around in a way that you couldn't do without breaking bones. His entire torso is spiraled around and it ends with his feet kind of pressed against the outside of the tub. He's just this perfect corkscrew spiral in the middle of the tub. Mm-hmm. And there's just this horrified, you know, it's the the mother and the son that find this, and there's just this they, horrified they, look. They come home and they can't find him, and so they're searching the house, and then they go mm-hmm. in the bathroom and they find this tub. And you know, the the interesting thing is, at least from the the scope of this story on a literary sense, is like this this event, finding your father stuffed inside of a of a tub 
turn into a corkscrew, like a spiral like this. Like mm-hmm. the image of it is really horrific, but in any other story, that would have been the climax. Like that, that's it. That's how much more oh, yes. can you get than that? Like, and, and that's, yeah. that's literally the opening to this story. Yeah. That's the end of the first chapter. The second chapter then opens with the cremation, which two white guys talking about Japanese culture. I believe Japanese culture, that it's more common to cremate a body than bury it whole. Yeah. They just don't and, have room. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it then starts at the crematorium uh, and they, they sort of cremate the father and the, the, the smoke kind of comes up from the crematorium and then spirals out around the crematorium in a, a perfectly flat spiral shape and then spirals back down into the pond in the middle of town. And this is the point that the mother has a mental break. Well, not only not just the spiral, but the father's face appears. Oh, yes, in the it smoke. manifests the face. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's a, a creepy theme kind of throughout is that it's not just that the spiral is manifesting everywhere, but within the spiral, the 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 people who have been taken by this curse appear to be a part of the spiral. Um, and and yeah. really, the the father is just the first one. Um, the the mother becomes phobic of spirals. She has a whole degeneration that. Um, you know, she's cutting the fi- fingerprints off because they're spiraled. She cuts her hair off because she doesn't want it to spiral. It, it ends up with her, like, destroying her ears, basically, and, and dying of vertigo a few days later. Mm-hmm. And it yeah. just pretty much goes downhill from there. It doesn't, doesn't look back. Every, every chapter, there's no, there's no de-escalation. Every no. chapter is, like, more of everything. Every time somebody dies... Well, that's it. They end up being cremated, and the cremation, you always get this um, very distinct spiral of the smoke. It doesn't happen anywhere else. They can't explain it. Everybody that they burn in the city, you get this, this the cremation spiral, and then the ash settles down in the, the pond in the middle of town. Yeah, and that leads, you know, there, there's chapter three is about a girl that has a spiral scar on her face that ends up in... Well... Like, <clears throat> And this is this is the point here, um, and I think we we need to talk a little more in general terms and going through this blow by blow because I mean we're fifteen minutes in. That's the first two chapters. It's like if you count the lost chapter, we have it twenty chapters. This is the point when you enter uh, the sort of phase of the story where I'm loath to use the term X Files. It, it, it's it's very fringe. Mm-hmm. There are things happening, but you could you could still discount it. Apart from the smoke, which is freaking everybody out. Um, you could still discount a lot of things that happen. For example, you know, uh, the scar, the, the girl in the scar, you know, she yeah, has this, so, this so magnetic pull. She on has people. a spiral, a spiral scar, like who cares? You know, big deal, well, it, it, starts off, it starts off with a crescent, but then it turns into a spiral and the spiral eats her face, basically. And yeah. that story ends up with her. Um, she kind her of implodes theory. into the yeah. into the spiral scar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so well, she consumes a guy first through the, oh, the yeah. hole in where her head used to be, and then Kiri and do. Uh, Gavin watch her sort of end up absorbed by this creature. And I, then I she just, just want to point out so, we don't, so that if, if anybody listens to this podcast at all, that uh, his name isn't Gavin, it's Suichi. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just not going to sit here and butcher that name for the next 45 minutes. So uh, I mean, That's fine. Yeah, I'm just, Suichi? I'm just Suichi, yeah. It's a... Uh, 
Suichi. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, I can I can do this. Suichi. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the um, the other you know the next chapter that kind of has an effect on me and and this the, I think the thing the thing about this story that I love is the idea of taking something that is insignificant and ignorable. Like, you you know, you see spirals all the time, and and you don't really pay attention to it unless they're significant, like, a you know, a big whirlpool or something. But um, So, so the, the afterword to this um, does actually talk about uh, the, the author going through a phase where he was he was collecting snails and, and, and raising snails and trying to make little cakes that were spiraled and just... He was trying to obsess about spirals to get some kind of feel for how that should look. And apparently it did cause him, his friends and neighbors, to be like, are, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, he uh, apparently also has quite an obsession with cats. Yes. Yes. Which is on my, my, my list to read, actually. I just got that, the, uh, that e-book. Um, but, <clears throat> so, basically, this book consists of Junji Ito thinking like brainstorming how can i take this idea of a spiral and make it creepy and it and does so, and and it does um it does take one idea and and roll into the next one and each time you go into a next chapter it's how can we make this crazier mm-hmm. so i mean you, 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 and again this you know this is what you were saying about you know the the, the death of the father being sort of like the culmination for most stories for me the, the the point where i would have said this is the culmination of the story this is where the story would end would actually be uh chapter four so this is the firing effect i was just gonna suggest we talk about that one because yeah that... so this this is this is where kiri so kiri's father is a, a potter and what he starts to do um i guess making very traditional style pottery he has like a, a manual kiln that he makes bulk pots in in a separate building in the in the town and what he starts to do is go into the the pond in the middle of town where all this ash is descending, and not descending like a, a, a like a rainfall. It's very very specifically spiraling down in a stream. And he's taking this clay and he starts to make these crazy crazy pots, and they are spiraled and twisted, and they don't they don't look what they what he's trying to make. So he's putting in very normal looking plates and and bowls and 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 such made from this this muddy clay from the bottom of the pond. And when they're coming out of the firing process, they are twisted and disfigured and drawn out and almost tentacle-like a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Lots of parts these... that are spiraled up. And and there's a spiral pattern in the clay, like a like the, yeah. the glaze is all spiraled. Yeah. And he he starts to become obsessed with, with making these pots from this clay. And uh, Su- Suchi? Um. Suichi. Suichi. So Gavin, um, <laughs> it's, it's just a mercy. Um, so uh, Gavin starts to hear his parents kind of screaming. And he's, he's talking to Kiri about this being, you know, I hear this screaming. Um, and I think it's from my parents. It, it sounds like it's coming from your house. And the girl starts to investigate what the father's up to and what she finds out is happening and the reason he's being so secretive about his his kiln for once is that yeah when he's when he's uh when he's curing these pots when he's running them through the, the kiln process 
the faces of people who've died recently of, of sort of spiral-related issues are screaming from the heat in this, this kiln. And so they, the also start, they also start appearing in the pots. Yes. So, and, not um, just, and not just like a face. It's not like, you know, a nice smiling profile or something. It's like, you know, hollow eyes and an and inhumanly open mouth and like, you know, creepy faces. Not well, well, and, and, and uh, Gavin finds the, his own parents' faces in these pots. Mm-hmm. So th- this whole thing happens where they, they, they rip the, the kind of kiln open mid-process and it burns the whole building down. And they still have these pots that are just absurdly twisted and, and clearly, you know, with these faces of agony on them. And Kiri's father sort of brushes this off and goes back to making more pots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just this progression of this, this curse kind of obsessing, causing people to obsess about this shape. Yeah, and that's the, the, that chapter is kind of the last chapter that's not that's that's kind of the last kind of if you can call any of these a normal chapter like like that one that one is really creepy in a more traditional sense well, from I, there I think that's sort of the last one where you can kind of brush it off as something a bit strange happening in the background the, the next one after that is twisted souls where the the, the two it's very romeo and juliet but mm-hmm. two lovers kind of run to the beach and to get away from their families they they kind of grab hands and then twist into this sort of sea serpent type shape and bolt out to sea and are never seen again. Yeah. And so, then I mean, from that, there, it just, it just starts it just becomes going critical. More more, it, it, it just becomes to a point that the, the town can no longer, people start to move out of the town because weird things are happening. But, but they can't. They can at this point. Oh, is that the, the lockdown comes later, right? Yeah. The, 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 yeah. the, the lockdown comes down towards, uh, I think, so like the Black Lighthouse? No, it's after that, I think. After that. Yeah. But yeah, the, the well, lighthouse that's just burning anybody that climbs up in it. So the Medusa chapter is kind of the point at which it starts, like the, the weirdness starts going critical. And Medusa is about a, a two girls' hair start getting spirals, and they end up like competing with one or the one is competing with the other about who can have the best spiral hair and then well it, it's uh, sort of more interesting because the, the the one character is is kiri who is the, is the female sort of protagonist of the mm. story and she's already aware that there's something weird happening with spirals and it's it's breaking people it's breaking yeah. their behavior so when it starts to happen to her hair she is she's perfectly horrified because you know she doesn't want this to happen it's her friend who also has this start to happen to her hair who is sort of fighting her for the attention of having this big uh uh, mesmerizing hair and people are mesmerized by the hair they are drawn in yeah um yeah and i would would actually say jack in the box is not jack in the box medusa is probably the point where you get this impression that whatever is happening to people is is infectious. It is trying to yeah, it's push bigger itself. Than, it's bigger than just these two families. Right. And it's you, you have Medusa, then there's, you know, Jack in the Box, which is another person that goes mad, the snail, which I was going to ask, um, did... We'll, we'll, we'll so, get to the snail one in a second. We'll, we'll get to the snail one in a second. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I personally... Well, well, we'll get to that in a second. 
the Black Lighthouse uh, is another one that's very much where you have the spirals pushing this malign influence over the entire you know, town. And know, it's there's... it's no longer a thing that's like it's no longer a thing that is just noticed in the background. It's now a thing that is very apparent, very public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is um there is an aspect to this to this book. There is there is a lot of Lovecraftian into influence in this story. And the Black Lighthouse, I think, is the first chapter that that is more Lovecraftian than the other ones. You know, this this mysterious lighthouse where something weird is going on, and then when they go up in the lighthouse, the there's this weird spiral kind of fungal growth over the light, and it's it's just really weird. So I would disagree with that. Really? And I would disagree with that because, for me, the the major Lovecraft influence in this story is stylistically the the way that the the two protagonists approach the story because a lot of lovecraft stories the the protagonist of the story the person who is reporting the story isn't really involved in the story and i'm I'm thinking like the the color out of space it's it's something that the person is relating that happened to someone else right and it's it's uh the same with um um the whisper in the dark the one when Amigu first show up. Um, that's, um, yeah, the whisper in darkness. Yeah. With that, sure, okay, the guy's gone out to meet this, this person that's telling this horrible story. But what he Nothing, relates, yeah. it's not the Nothing story of really, him being chased yeah. or happening to him. What he's relating to is um, this other character's growing battle and presumably um, brain removal. <laughs> Right. By this this very alien species, and they they are very essentially a very uh, very literally using the corpse of this guy as a puppet, while they have his brain in a life support jar. Yeah, well, um, I guess so. I guess that's for me. That's for me. For was the major the Lovecraft influence for this because for most of this story, with the exception, and this is the other reason why I like Medusa, with the exception of Medusa, because this is, you know, Kiri gets infected. This long hair starts to drain all the life out of her and Gavin shows up and almost gets killed by the hair because it doesn't want to be removed but he trims the hair back down to nothing so it can't do this and he this is this is the first time these two are very directly connected into the story so although things are happening to their family and they're going and seeing things especially Kiri in particular this is the first time something has happened to her yeah that's true. For most of the story, these two are sort of observing what is happening to other people and, and things, especially in the latter stages when the town starts to reform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess, I guess for me, the, what I was talking about with the Lovecraft influence of the Black Lighthouse is the... the, is the and, and, and this also, at the very, very end, it's the same thing. It's a, it's a stylistic thing of, like, cyclopean architecture where the... the the structure of what they're looking at just doesn't make sense in a having been artificially created kind of way. No, and and the other the other big Lovecraft influence, spoiler, they never explain why any of this happens. Right. Even though it, it almost ends on a romantic note, <laughs> which well, is kind of funny. They never explain why this happens, why this is here, um, what the deal with the pond is. Nothing is really explained or resolved. Yeah, it's just a curse. Um, It's just a curse. So, progressing with the curse, and talking about curses, 
So Medusa, yeah. So the, the the culmination of that story is, you know, Sochi shows up, cuts Kiri's hair before it, it basically kills her. And you see this friend is like, yes, I have all the hair. It's great. And she's getting physically frailer and thinner to the point where she slumps against the lamppost. The hair kind of coils around the, the lamppost and she just dies. Mm-hmm. It uh, just very publicly. Her. Mm-hmm. It just consumes her utterly. Um, and speaking of consuming, the snail... Yeah. So, so I I you, personally despise snails with a passion and a phobia that I I cannot describe. Like, I would rather put my hands into buckets of cockroaches than than touch an actual snail ever. And this this was every time because this comes up a lot more later in the book. You get you get a lot of people who uh, have the same thing happen to them, and it, it just it just kills me every time I read this. It's like if this ever started to happen to me, nope. <laughs> Nope. <laughs> so I was going to ask because I don't know. I don't know how long your your dislike of snails has happened. Did, this didn't cause it, did it? <laughs> no, I, I've hated snails since I was a kid. Interesting. I don't know uh, when exactly when I was a kid because I I do remember my my grandmother would give me salt to go mm-hmm. and because we she had a she had an ache a lot which was kind of a lot a, a lot back in England especially in the Midlands. Mm-hmm. So she would have an ache a lot and we would grow vegetables because my grandparents were had been smallholders for mm. and they had raised their own pigs um my, my grandfather was a pigeon fancier so he had his own pigeons so there was there was a good chunk of the garden that was given over to growing vegetables mm-hmm. so we would just be given literally like a salt shaker it's like go and deal with the slugs and the the job was to go around all of the plants in the greenhouse out in the garden all the brussels sprouts and everything they were growing find slugs and then just salt them to death and i remember doing that age six or seven so at mm-hmm. some point after that I just found I couldn't be I couldn't touch snails anymore. There was just something. Yeah. Well, then and, this, uh, this story definitely um, would make your skin crawl. Yeah, and you could summate this story really simply because one of the kids in their class gets slower and slower and slower until he turns into an actual human-sized snail, and then one of the kids in the class who was making fun of him has the same thing happen, mm-hmm. and these two giant people-sized snails break out legs somewhere in the forest and are never seen ever again well no they put them in a pen yeah but they break they, out they, of the pen yeah well no no, well, no, that, actually, the... no that's that's one of the later stories you're right so they, yeah. they are they are kept as i guess mascots for the school kind of it's yeah it's very very twisted socially as well like it's the, probably... you know as, as the as the story goes on it there there are like subtexts with this that like the the people that are in the city are complicit with what's going on like there is there is a fascinating um uh exploration later in this story where these these people have obviously turned into snails and there is people sort of characters break into one of two camps either they're they're people have undergone a transformation and we need to take care of them because there's something wrong with them or they've ceased to be human and we can eat them so mm-hmm. there's a weird exploration of almost cannibalism yeah. um dehumanization cannibalism um sort of victimization of the unfortunates that i wasn't expecting this to have yeah and that the fact that it's it's through this medium of these people turning into snails uh it for me personally is just is just even more horrific mm-hmm. because there's no part of any of that 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 doesn't make me like i think that there's one part where not so much the cooking there's one bit where I think one of the one of the stories in one of the later chapters, um, some 
casual character that comes through eats their former colleague raw. Right, he crawls and into the snail shell. He, he, real, he crawls into the snail shell and eats him raw, and I, I literally dry heaved. <laughs> yeah, like, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's like, pretty nasty. this story doesn't hold back. Um, no, it doesn't, and and to the point when um, the town starts to be hit by um, cyclones, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they, they, there's basically uh, tornado, tornadoes that pass through and destroy the town. Yeah, they get hit by six hurricanes in a row. Like yes, which direct is direct hits, and and, a, and each hurricane goes spiraling into the into the pond in the center of town. As well. Yes, which I always thought it was odd that nobody in the town uh, ever explored the pond in any real detail. Would you? I think I might. <laughs> I, I, as we've established previously, I'm probably going to be one of the guys that dies in the first half of the horror film. Yeah, well. After the after the hurricanes, the the because of all of the the all of the hurricanes spiral into the pond, mm-hmm. the the pressure, the barometric pressure in the city is all all wacky, and yeah. you know there's a lot of you know hand wavy, and it doesn't really make sense. But basically, because the pressure is all wacky in the town, if you sneeze or you flap your hand or you talk too loud. You, you start you start a tornado yeah the, the, and uh, th- this is the point when it not only jumps the shark it's somewhere out in space and has never yeah. got back or came back yeah uh, it, it, it's, you, you turn you turn the page and suddenly there's roving gangs of thugs that are flying around the town on self-made tornadoes yeah. there, there are orphans <laughs> that are just wrecking the town for fun because they can yeah. and there's there's obviously um, a shortage of food and this is the point when kiri and um Gavin, make an, make an attempt to escape town. Through the mountains. Through the mountains, because there's a reporter who's come into town who can't get back out through the t- tunnel that leads into town. So people can come in, and people are coming in to see what's going on, but nobody can get out. Yeah, and, uh, the, 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 the and this is the point when they... The, they, 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 the, they the, well, her brother for, succumbs to the, the sort of the snail transformation, while these, these other people that are trying to get out fire a different way meet them on the trail in a way that they shouldn't be able to do because if i remember correctly doesn't one doesn't one group go east and one group goes west through the mountains and yet they meet heading towards each other yep um so they sort of they take the brother that's transformed they they shove him off a cliff because they have seen these people eat their friend who transformed into a snail while they were walking yep and this is where it gets really this is this is essentially where you know everything is broken beyond any chance of repair yeah. because when they're, they're forced... when they're when they're walking through the mountains, the yeah. now it's the land itself that's getting twisted. The yeah, plants... T- time and space is broken because um, one of the strange things of these storms hitting the town is it destroys all the modern houses, but these sort of traditional, very cheap, rundown long houses are completely unaffected, and they don't know why. And people start to cram in in their dozens. Mm-hmm. Um, to um, to try and get away from these storms that keep hitting. And um, what happens is, as they as they leave, because they're they're essentially pushed out of their own longhouse. As they leave the longhouse, the you you hear some say, "Well, I I think we can collect some debris and make this longer." Mm-hmm. Well, as they go out into the mountains, you know, time space is broken. They come back. At a point, uh, what would you say, four or five months they, later? 
Maybe well, even they, they feel though. like they feel like they've been gone for a couple hours. Yeah, but when they come back, the entire town is consisted of this one big longhouse that is yeah. formed into a spiral surrounding. They, they have leveled oh. all of the buildings and used the materials to form this spiral that that terminates on this pond in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. And all the people in the buildings are uh, disfigured in in straight all... again this, this strange kind of boneless twisting and, and turning. And they are they are kind of wrapped wrapped around each other into this sort of huge amorphous mass. Yep. And this is what they it, come back to. Yeah. So they've been they they feel like they've been gone a couple hours, but they've they've really been gone for a long time because that that would have taken time to to happen. And like as they're walking through the spiral, people are asking them to the people are are depositing twisted dead bodies that have been in there and are stinking up the inside. Yeah, they're, they're almost squid-like at this point. Mm-hmm. It's really, uh-huh. it's really, like, it's, it's a very good example of, of Japanese body horror, uh, which, you know, I mean, the body horror comes in a lot of forms, yeah. but Japanese body horror, horror is, a, is yeah. a special kind of unique. <laughs> yeah, and this, this has taken um, this sort of, subtle creeping corruption at this point is no longer subtle or creeping it, it is overt and it is everywhere and it has destroyed everything yeah and they, they they sort of they they walk they walk along these long houses they're cutting through and and what is happening is people are building inside at a, just an absolutely record pace and there's a few people outside that are still human that are kind of clearing rubble out of the way that are um dealing with dead bodies and things and whilst they're walking towards the center of town, they finally finish this spiral. You just hear this cacophonous kind of roar as all these people kind of surge through the entire structure and into the pond. And when sort of the, the, the protagonists get to the pond, it's no longer a pond. There's no longer water in it. What is there is actually an impossibly ancient spiral staircase down into something. Mm-hmm. And they follow this down. And they come into basically a large cavern that has, I don't even know if they describe what it is, a castle, a city? What, what would you... It doesn't ha- explain it. I, this, is, this is the part that for me is very, very, very Lovecraftian. I mean, this is, this is the, the structures that they see are all spirals. There's like spiral stalactites mm-hmm. and stalagmites. But then there's like these structures that are just like, really bizarre looking and i mean you know lovecraft always uses like eldritch and cyclopean architecture and this just reminds me of that it's just it doesn't make sense yeah and it it does have that that one single um almost like lighthouse style tower in Mm -hmm. in the center of this castle city whatever this thing is and it, it sort of implies that every so often the city does this to bring more people down to use as building material. Yeah, because the the ground is is covered in stone forms that look like the twisted people that were inside the yeah. long. Houses. Um, and they find uh, Kiri finds her parents, and then well, they... well, this the, the back up a bit there because you know they they go down this stone spiral and. Um, so she gets he gets into a fight with somebody who got left behind one of these these twisted squid people and he mm-hmm. falls down into the falls down ahead of her kiri follows down um because i i would say this is very much kiri's story as opposed to anybody else's 
Yeah. She follows the staircase down and has to jump onto this giant screw plug thing that's kind of well, she falls 20 off or 30 well. feet thing. Yeah, and then yeah. she falls down, lands on the people. They they both survive, but they're both kind of injured. No, I uh, don't think they are because there's a there's like a tornado cyclone that like kind of lets her down. I I think I I got the impression that Suchi was was injured, but anyway, they 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 get to the the bottom and they see this this castle, and if this was sort of a western story, I think this is the point when they would go in, find out what was going on, and then get back to the surface, mm-hmm. run away, and, you know, we would talk about this strange thing that happened to this town that was destroyed as the only survivor. Yeah. The military would come in and nuke it. Yeah. And yay well, America. You, you, already, you already see the, the military come in and they, get, they go into a whirlpool and get destroyed. Yeah. This town is not letting anybody leave, leave at this point. And actually what happens is, you know, Kiri and Suchi just sort of, look... We don't have the the strength to fight this anymore. This is this is everything that this thing is. So basically, they kind of join hands. And you see their arms spiral around each other. This giant spiral tower plug kind of goes up into the back into the roof of the cavern and seals the spiral staircase that they came down. And it ends with a shot of the whole town, which is now just this giant wooden spiral longhouse going into the center of town. And I think it's uh, I think it's Kiri just reminiscing on the fact that you know at the center of the spiral time basically stops, so the one consolation is at least she's with Sochi forever. Mm-hmm. And that's it. There's no explanation about why this happened. There's no explanation what this thing is, where it came from, why it, it decided this this time it needed to manifest itself. It just ends. Yeah, and there's an implication. It says, um, when the next Chu is built amongst the ruins of the old one. So it's like this a is cyclical the, This is thing. the name of the city that's yeah. there. So basically, basically, this city is cursed, and, and eventually the buildings will break down, and a new city will be built upon it when people are like, oh, look at this land, and, mm-hmm. and then the whole cycle will start over again. Well, and, and they do imply, without any real evidence, it's just, it's just like, you know, and we can we can talk about this in more detail, but it's one of the things that I really love about Asian style horror is the is the 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 lack of or different kind of resolution that you get in the end. Well, it it it, it has, and I I think a lot of because you don't you don't necessarily have this so much in a certain European sort of uh, um, media. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a very sort of Anglo-centric view. Um, there is always a good guy, and they are going to win, or not. Yeah, I mean there are. Well, there are, I, well I, there I would are, say that I would say the more popular stuff, the more the the the, the better expectation is that they are going to win. Right, or at least this, this is, <laughs> or at least survive. As as a complete tangent, you know, this is one of the reasons why I think um, Avengers Endgame was very brave. Yes, because yeah. Spoilers. Thanos wins. <laughs> the end. Mm-hmm. And that's that is so abnormal. I know that they they were planning that as a a, a trilogy a, a two part film basically, but that is a remarkably brave thing to do for a billion dollar film. Yeah. That's probably a remarkably brave thing to do for anything that's not like a million dollar experimental art film. Yeah. And not only does Thanos win, but like you know, like crushing. Half- half the universe is now gone 
you know, yeah. it's like one hundred trillions of people are dead. Yeah, and it, it it just ends with him sitting down, being at peace because, yeah, he won. He has yeah. completed everything he set out to do. There is no beating him. The end. Yeah, that is not a thing that you get in sort of um, Anglo-centric Western fiction. I, I, I would actually, if you hold up um, uh, the Yuan, so the grudge, the, mm-hmm. the Japanese version of the grudge, and then the grudge with Sarah Michelle Gellar, if you hold those two films together, you can really contrast and see what is going on here, because the sort of the Japanese version alludes to what is happening, but for most of the film, it's just a house where weird murderous stuff happens. Yeah, and, and the, with, the Japanese version is actually like... Um loosely connected disparate scenes and that's yeah. that's a that's there's a very no, japanese no style of, of storytelling there's there's kind of a, a loosely connected plot but what you're actually seeing are seemingly disconnected scenes of life right. and, and 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 actually i you know i'm glad that you well, brought up i mean you know you know towards the end of that film the the woman who finally gets a glimpse at kind of what's happening you know she doesn't survive Nobody right. survives. Everyone that goes into this house dies. Right, and that's that's one thing I I have always liked um, the the Grudge or Juong, and and one of the things even even the American version, the the same director who made the Japanese one made the American one with Sarah Michelle Gellar, and mm-hmm. though it is definitely Americanized and it's not as good as the Japanese one, there he was brilliant at making the American audience feel like the protagonist was going to win. Um, you know, it, yeah. the, the movie is structured differently in the American version. There's well, a even, haunting. And, e- even, and she, even you don't see her lose. Well, you, you it's, very in, much it's make implied. The, 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 very, it's, the very last scene, the very last scene, it's implied. Well, um, it implies that it's still coming for her, that she's still fighting it. It doesn't, I, I wouldn't say it necessarily implies that she succumbs to it. And yeah, I think that's too, the difference. It's been too long since I've seen the American one. I uh, don't remember exactly how it ends, but and it's but, it, it's also and it's not to knock Sarah Michelle Gellar because she's perfectly a perfectly good role that she plays there. Um, it, it again it, it you know explains why this is happening and what they need to do. And uh, if I recall correctly, doesn't she try and burn the house down because she thinks it's the only way to finish this? Um, I think I think like she does in the in the final confrontation, and then she yeah. wakes up at the hospital. Yeah. Um, it's it's a very if, interesting... if I remember if I remember right though the last the very last shot that you get in the movie is um, she's laying on her hospital bed and the camera pans down and then you see black hair fall from under the sheet. From and what so I it... remember, it was she gets out of the hospital bed and is standing in the hospital room and you hear a growl and it's a shot and the I think it's the woman is standing behind her literally like 100% behind her like a shadow growling and that's where it ends okay okay but i don't i don't uh, think you see a get her you know what i mean yeah no and you know i yeah okay so so a little, a little i i have two stories one related to uzumaki and one not but we'll start with not first since we're talking about this um when when i stopped being religious i i i went through and i wanted to find out if things that used to scare me still scare me. Because I used to be, when I was a teenager, my friends on Halloween would have like a scary movie night. 
And they would invite me because I was the one who was freaking out about things. I, I could not tolerate horror movies when I was a teenager. Um, you know, The Exorcist, all of the all of the great horror movies would mm-hmm. just scare me too much. And when I stopped being religious, I kind of realized that I didn't have that same fear. I didn't worry about, you know, um, demons attacking me in the night. I didn't think about ghosts and things like that and so i went through and i watched every horror movie i could get my hands on and and sure enough like the exorcist is no longer really scary to me not in the same way i mean it's a scary movie but it doesn't it it used to give me like this existential i i i'll uh, I'll be honest with you i was i was never raised particularly religious mm -hmm. um it's never a label i've applied to myself i exist you know, very Christian who were like, well, it's like this and you have to understand this. And it's like, well, Mm -hmm. I understand the theory of this, but I, I just don't find it scary. Right. It's almost comedic to be honest. Right. And, and, and so, so I went through and watched all all these horror movies. I will say um, the Hellraiser movies are, are pretty scary um, for me still, but I will show you such delights. I know. Right. Um, (laughs) But but what um what I found was that that horror that came out of Asia, whether it's J horror or K horror, even like Thai and Vietnamese horror, that stuff still scares me because it it comes from a different place than Western horror, and you know whereas in Western horror there's a haunting and then the rest of the story is the character dealing with that and finding out why it's happening to try and combat it whether that's getting an exorcism or whether that's you know finding closure for the spirit that well, that's well, haunting again, them it's it's always a fight right well, a whatever conflict. it is it's always a fight against something that is involuntary it's always yeah. you know the, the the antagonists are kind of the good guys the um the the monster ghost whatever it is is always the bad guy they have to stop right and because and, that, and that's the way that has to be and but in but in asian horror not only is there not always a protagonist, like in, in, in the movie uh, Juon, there are several protagonists and none of them none of them win. And not only that, but what, there's one aspect of Asian horror that I like that, that relates to Uzumaki is that you can, and this is part of, part of like Japanese paranormal culture as well with, with uh, yokai and stuff like that. Like you can, um, you can, stumble into a paranormal situation that will not end for you and still be completely innocent. Like, you know, the people in Juon, the only thing that they did is go into this house. Some of them rented it. Some of them, you know, were trespassing or whatever. Well, and this and, is, and this is, this, this is the same thing with Uzumaki. I mean, you know, Sochi, Sochi has a feeling that something's wrong because he goes to school in another town. Yeah, but all of these people did the only the only crime any of these people made was that they happened to live in this in in Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so and and that and to, to, for me, that is that is horrific that you can mm-hmm. that you can uh, th- through no misstep or misdeed of your own end up suffering some kind of paranormal horror simply that's, by being. That's kind of how life is, though. I mean, if you, it if you is. look. If you look historically, um, you know, you can be minding your own business walking down the sidewalk. Some truck goes off the road and plows through you. You're done. Right. Um, yeah. And I, I almost wonder sometimes if that 
that's what makes some of that a little more relatable than, oh, well, you know, there's big, terrifying monsters, etc. Mm-hmm. If it makes it a little more relatable, because these people are always collateral damage. Right. They're not ghost hunters, or they're trying to find out what's happening. Mm-hmm. They're going about their business, they're eating an ice cream, and then suddenly something's pulling their soul out of their body. Mm-hmm. You know? And and that, that I think, that that's definitely an aspect that, that as as writers of horror fiction, you can, or, or really of any fiction, like you can think about the cause and effect of what you're doing and, and, and think about instances in life where there really isn't any obvious cause and effect. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things happen in life that are truly meaningless. And those, the, the, the meaningless events that are tragic are extra tragic because of the meaninglessness of it. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that that not just in not just in Japanese horror fiction, but Japanese fiction in general has a strong through line of of um, enjoying the present because life can be meaningless. Um, yes, and, so, and and that's that's kind of where this this ends, you know. Well, right. we're trapped by this malevolent spiral. Everything has gone to hell. But at least I'm here with the love of my life, right? And 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 kind of on that subject, like um, the the horror of obsession, uh, whether it's a personal obsession or the obsession of a society, um, is really interesting. And um, you know, there are. Yeah, I mean, we talked about mental illness a bit in when we were talking uh, about the Telltale Heart, but well, um, I mean, you, you can you can make that saying again about um, you can make that that statement again about obsession. Obsession would be mental illness. This well, idea so, you lose your own mind, you know. Right. So, so about three months after I read this book for the first time, um, I I was working in a behavioral therapy clinic, and I had a client who. Um, who had some perseveration um, over drains, um, like the the drain that the water goes down, mm. and um, you know if you if you if he was in was the water spiraling by any chance? Well, so this is what <laughs> happened. So so one day I'm working with this client, um, and he asked me if he could have a piece of paper so that he could draw, and I said sure. So I gave him a piece of paper. And he started drawing this spiral, taking up the whole pig, the whole page, and it was spiraling in and in and in and in until the bottom. And then he drew this big black dot in the middle for the drain. And I didn't know about his perseveration over drains at this point, so I had just finished re- reading Uzumaki like you know two months beforehand. And here's this client that starts drawing this huge <laughs> spiral, you know, staring very intently at it. And I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, please let Uzumaki not be nonfiction. Um, uh, yeah, that would be. Anyway, that's uh, that's about time for us. So um, I, I guess in summation, go and read these. They are amazing. It is an amazing sequence of stories. Yes, and and, and if you're if you're a writer, um, pay attention to how the characters. Um, take action on things because the way that they take action on things is not the same as how they would in a western uh, a western paranormal horror. No, story. it's 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 actually a lot more um, analytical. I find. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it's come to that time 
Oh, last warning. Uh, there's a whole section in the hospital that we totally glossed over because it doesn't tend to relate to anything else. Read that but bit it's, it's at your own risk. Yes. It's possibly the most visceral, unpleasant part of the entire story. Yeah, especially um, if you're if you're a parent, like trigger warning there. Oh gosh, yes, I'll have to put that in the, the show warnings. Yeah. Um, well, so we didn't actually really talk about it, but the book definitely has trigger warnings all over the place. Um, I have nightmares so, about that section. Anyway, so uh, what should we uh, what should we uh, read next time? What are we going to look at next time? Well, the last time we did a coin flip, and this one won, and the other one that we were going to do on the coin flip was the Dunwich Horror. Um, by H.P. Lovecraft. So that's, I kind of think I kind of think we should do that one. But if you have another one in mind, I mean, I'm. Open. I was wondering if we should coin flip and do either um, the Dunwich Horror or uh, the Incident of the Amagara Fault. Hmm. Uh, let's do the Dunwich Horror because uh, because I have that one and I don't have Gyo and uh, and it's Christmas time, so I should probably not spend a bunch of money. I- I'm not. I'm not endorsing piracy, but uh, I believe that the 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 uh, Amagara fault online free. I oh. think somebody hosted online. It's a little awkward to read, but I think you can find it. Okay, flip a coin then. Now you've kind of talked me into it. Let's do Dunwich Horror. <laughs> okay. You sort we, of talked me we, into that one. Now. Uh, we may want to do this. Dunwich Horror is fairly long for Lovecraft, so. We may want to try and do it in two sections, but let's see how it goes. Well, we can figure that. This 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 one was perfectly long as well. Um, yeah, we also we also um, very much glossed over everything. But well, sure. <laughs> I mean, this was a this was what a um, a monthly magazine release over like eighteen months. Yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think so, the Dunwich Horror was done serially in three parts. Was it? I think Interesting. So. Okay, well, we'll find out next time. So uh, yeah, thank so, you for listening. Uh, and go read The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. If you want to follow along, read The Dunwich Horror by H.P. Lovecraft. And we will see you next time. All right. I remember where the stop button was this time. If you enjoyed our podcast, consider liking, subscribing, and maybe even recommending to a friend. We'll see you soon.